All right. Let's try this again. All right. Well, as you've probably already seen, um, that uh, technology can be a real fun thing to encounter. And truthfully, we really need to hear from God this morning. Uh, you don't need to hear from me. Uh, maybe not even hear from some of the, the problems that we might experience in the morning. But we really need to hear from God. Because truthfully, I have nothing really valuable to say to you this morning. I can't say it in my own works, in my own words. I can't say anything good. Honestly, we need to hear from God this morning. Uh, so if all you hear from me is a that's a colossal waste of time of getting together. So let's just pray. Let's ask God to really speak to us this morning in a real powerful way. And God, we, we thank you for, for being here with us this morning. God, we know that you're good. We thank you for, uh, for everything that you've done, uh, that you're bringing us together. Uh, God, I pray right now just for every single person in this room that, uh, God, they would hear something in a new and fresh way. God, they would be able to encounter you uh, in a way that maybe they've never encountered you before. And God, I pray that this wouldn't just be words that we hear this morning, God, but that this would be something that ultimately changes the very way that we think or the way that we see you. Uh, God, I thank you so much for this time and uh, pray that you would bless it in your name. Amen. All right. So this morning we're talking about two things uh, that came out of the Reformation. It's this idea of by grace and by faith alone. That our faith is powerful that God's grace is powerful, that those things are important truths that we need to understand and wrap our head around. So, uh, first off, let's look at what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, a gift. Uh, this morning, the whole idea of a gift came up a few times, right? When Katie was praying, talking about gifts, how it's fun to receive, right? Some of you in here who are gift givers, you're probably cringing right now, like, oh my gosh, like, I love giving. It's one of those things that is just so, so awesome. I love to be able to con convey my heart to somebody through gifts. This is really what God has done for us. This is what uh, grace is. It's an unmerited favor. It's a gift. So let's take a look at just a couple of verses. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Romans 3, 23 and 24. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Notice that connection, the grace and the gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our justification, our standing, our right standing before God is a result of the grace that God has given to each and every one of us. And it's a gift. It's something that's not earned, right? It's something that's freely given. Take a look at what Paul says just a few uh, chapters later. Romans 5, 15 and 16. Keep an eye out for all the times where the idea of grace and a gift show up here. There's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift, there it is again, leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. There are four times in those two verses where Paul is saying it's God's gracious gift. It's his free gift. It's the gift that he gave us. That's what grace is. It's free. And part of me thinks that this is the case, but my feeling is that he's pointing it out so many times because so many times our mentality is 
the complete opposite. Oh, you know, I can work toward it. That's fine. You know, that's, he's really drilling the point home here because that is such an essential truth for us to recognize. And we all know, like, the concept of, of free things, right? We all know what free things are. When my wife and I, uh, we were having a baby, and there were so many people in the community and so many people here in this church that were just so helpful in giving us the things that we needed to ultimately make it a success, right? Like you need diapers and, you know, little swing to help them sleep and just all the random, you know, doodads or whatever you want to call them, just all the random things that you need that ultimately make life easier. And so many of those things, it was so helpful in so many different ways. And so another example, uh, when I was in college, uh, we had what was known as a midnight breakfast. At the end of the fall semester, uh, every fall, there was always a, a chance for the staff and the uh, faculty to come together and they would basically make their, their breakfast specialties, whatever they were. So eggs, bacon, sausage, uh, all kinds of random sweets and stuff. If they had something that was, I don't know, like bacon-wrapped everything, like just think <laughs> about what it is. Basically, there was a lot of bacon. That's, that's kind of my point. But one of the things that's really interesting about this is that we would go and we had such an incredible time where the staff and the faculty were serving us and it was totally free. College students, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say free food. You're just like, dude, sign me up. Let's go right now. Where's it at? Like, I really want that. And the thing is, I think that we oftentimes, for us who are followers of Christ, we have a tendency of overemphasizing some of the things that really don't matter and underemphasizing the things that really do matter, right? That's, that's such a, a truth. Like, for me, it's, I was thinking about this just the other day. It's like, man, I love bacon, you know? I love it. It's great. Bacon's awesome. I love it. But even, like, saying that, the word, I love bacon, like, it's so ridiculous. No, I don't. Like, I, I like it a lot. It tastes delicious. I think most people in this room would probably say, yeah, it's really good, but I... You don't love it. No, you don't. You like it, right? Just Sometimes our words often have a tendency of kind of creeping into our heart, and we really lose the meaning of things that are so important. Like the word love is such a powerful word when you really think about that, right? The word grace, it's so powerful when you think about it. It's our unmerited sin. It's our unmerited favor that God ultimately was giving to us something that we had no right to even deserve, right? That's, that's crazy. Free gift. I mean, that's, that's a, that's, really, that's what the idea of uh, what grace is, just free gift. I'm not saying you can't like bacon, by the way. Just, you can, but just really think about the priority of it, you know? Using your words, right? We... I, we I joke around at our house. Our daughter, she's like now just starting to say consonants. She's like, bah, bah. I don't know if you heard her up here, but she was like, bah, 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 bah. you know, like just going and talking, really. So now, like, we're in the process of saying, okay, use your words. You know, words are important. Like, their meaning is really important. So, so we're, uh, we're working on that one. You know, that's, that's a, the start. So that's grace. Faith. Let's take a look at what faith is. Faith is trusting and obeying God. Trusting and obeying God. Take a look at what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, and some translations even use the word evidence, 
of things not seen. Faith is assurance, right? You ever um, kind of know without a shadow of a doubt that something is going to happen? Like, for example, the sun will come up. It's assured. The sun will come up, right? This is, the language that is being used in this verse is just as powerful. Our faith is assurance. It's something that is guaranteed. It's evidence. So when we're trusting, when we're obeying God, it's evidence. It's something that is beyond ourselves. It's something that I can't do in my own ability. It's faith that God is giving to me that I believe for something so much bigger than myself, for something that may seem absolutely ridiculous, but that's not the case. God is saying, that is what it is. It's trusting and obeying me. Take a look. This is uh, in the Gospels. There's a few different examples of Jesus when he's doing physical healings. Right? He's doing physical healings. When he's doing physical healings, there are instances where he says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Think about that, right? Our mentality sometimes, we go to the doctor, oh, okay, the doctor says this, I've got to do this, I've got to go on these prescriptions, and I'm not saying you should not do that, okay? Sometimes that is obviously the case. But in these instances, some of these people were coming to Jesus out of a last desperation. They had exhausted all of their possibilities with doctors and with everything. And as soon as they came to Jesus, he said, hey, guess what? Your faith has healed you. Go. It's pretty incredible. Take a look at these. These are the references here. Uh, Matthew 8, 13. Uh, Matthew 9, 2. Matthew 9, 2. This is an interesting one. This is actually uh, the story of the paralytic. And these guys, they, they carry their friend to Jesus and say, can you heal him? And Jesus says, hey, get up, take your mat, pick up and walk, because their faith has healed you. It's not even, it's, it's not even a question of our faith healing us. Sometimes faith for other people can do something for you. Right? That's, that's so powerful. And there's so many times, I mean, I can give you numerous examples of times where I'm just in the dumps. I feel... Like, garbage. It's like, God, like, are you really there? Like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I'm struggling right now. But then when I get surrounded, when I get in the community where people's faith is just alive, it just picks me up. You know? Has anyone ever felt that way? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome when that happens, right? I remember uh, a couple, that was about a year ago now, actually. It's, uh, we were in... Uh, Lawrence, for this, this conference, Steve Backland, who was part of Bethel Church, came out and he was speaking uh, just about a variety of different things. And uh, one of the things he said, it was crazy because the message, it wasn't really a message he gave. It was just literally a, like 500 one-liners that you could have an entire message off of. It was really incredible, honestly. But there was one point in his time with us that he was saying stuff. He was saying things to our staff and to the, the people, and then he looked right at me, and he was like, yeah, what did he say? No, he said, do you want to be a man of faith or a man of fact? Do you want to be a man of faith or a man of fact? And I don't know if he knew he was directing it right at me, because just prior to that, uh, my wife and I and anyone who's on staff, we're in the, we are support-based, uh, so in other words, we have to raise our funding uh, to do what we do on campus and to work uh, in the church here. And so uh, we have to raise all the funding. And so that whole process for me took about seven months 
uh, after we got married because, hey, we got married and, hey, we're pregnant really quickly after, so now there's three people I have to be responsible for instead of just one. Uh, so naturally, your, your expenses go up, right? So what's interesting about that is literally a week before that uh, time with Steve Backlund, I got to 100%. I got fully funded. Everything was all great. And he looked at me. The thing is, that whole process, I was struggling because the biggest thing for me is I wasn't putting God as bigger than he was. I was thinking of him too, too small, if that makes sense. Like, man, I can't do this out of my own ability. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe God can't do this. All these things. And that, it was just, it was a lie. All of it was. It was a total lie. But the thing is, when Steve said that to me, it was incredible because it's like, oh man, conviction. It's like somebody shooting an arrow right through your heart. Like, oh my gosh. And so from that point, it was like, wow, that's, that is so true. I don't want to be a guy that just re- relies on what I know. I don't want to be a guy like that. I don't want to be just basing my entire life off what I know. I want to believe in what I don't know. I want to believe that God is big, that he's powerful, that he can do incredible things that are so much more beyond what I'm capable of. And that's what faith is. That's all it is. So why does all this matter? Why does grace and faith matter? So really, when we're talking about both grace and faith, we see that our reconciliation, our being made right with God, only comes through Christ himself, through Jesus There's no other way around it. You cannot somehow come to God on your own ability. It's impossible. There's no way you can do it because God made himself available to us. So this was really the major issue within the church 500 years ago was that uh, there was this false mentality of, yes, like there's the grace of God and our faith as believers is, is accessing that, but then at the same time, it's, you know, you should do a lot of good works And so it's kind of this mishmash of working really hard and doing these things, but then there's also this grace on the side. And ultimately what happened is there was this deviation from the grace and faith aspect to, hey, do a lot of stuff. Work hard. Pay us a lot of money and we'll knock time off your time in purgatory. Yeah, knock time off purgatory. And that was just like, wait, what? Like Jonathan said, what was it, like 1.9 million years if you did a good work or paid the church a certain amount of money? Yeah, okay. That, like, I, I can't even figure out what like 60 years looks like. How do I even know what 1.9? That's, that's a lot. So here's the deal. I, I'm not trying to say that works don't matter because they do. They, they do make a difference in who we are. Um, more, more than anything else, there's a, there's a verse in Ephesians 2, 2.10 that God created us to do good works, and he prepared those in advance for us to do. Like, that's what he created us to do. Even from the very beginning, from creation, you see that, that God put man in the garden and that he gave him responsibilities and work. Work is not a, it is a four-letter word, but it's not a four-letter bad word, right? Work is something that God has given to each and every single one of us. But it's not the way to God. That is not the way to God. That's, where our mentality sometimes gets shifted. Um, take a look at this verse. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That seems really simple. Guess what? It is. It's really simple. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now, 
a lot of times we have this false perspective of what that means. Like, if I say some magic words, sweet. I'm accepted. I'm a believer now. I'm going to go to heaven one day. That's not what that's saying. We need to understand the context. I've you know, mentioned this before uh, in my time, but I re- if you haven't heard this, I really want to go through it again because it's so powerful. The idea that Paul is writing about right here, he's ro- writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome, I mean, that's the center of the Roman Empire at this time. And they had a, a saying at the time that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. I'm swearing my allegiance to Caesar that he is Lord. He is the one that I'm swearing everything I am to him. All of my work, everything that I do from this point forward is all done in the name of Caesar. The word and the language that Paul says here is the complete opposite. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... So you can see how powerful that is right there if, if you know the context of it. If you're saying Jesus is Lord, you are essentially renouncing your Roman citizenship and saying Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That was treason. If you did that, anyone could come at any point in time and murder you if they wanted to. It was, I mean, it was heavy stuff. It was very, very serious. The believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the, the resurrection, that's so important for us to understand. We need to believe it. We need to have that conviction, that faith that ultimately, God, like, you're going to do something. You're powerful. You've already done something so powerful in me. You've done so, something so powerful in just the fact that you came back to life. It's, it's something that, uh, that you need to have that conviction about. Take a look here at uh, another verse in Isaiah 64.6. If you're still kind of on the fence about doing good works, this will hopefully knock you off the fence. Uh, We are infected and impure with sin. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, our good works, they are nothing but filthy rags. It's pretty gross, right? Filthy rags. Um, There's an instance in our kitchen where after you do all the dishes, you get this rag that's just like, man, that's like so gnarly. I don't want to even like touch it, you know, it's just kind of drop it in the laundry because it's, you know, we just need that clean. What that's saying is you're like that. Like your good works is just filthy rags. It's not even anything. If you don't have uh, the point of believing in Christ, that's the context. Two weeks ago, we went through uh, the entire Old Testament in about six hours, which is uh, really crazy. 39 books that quickly. It was, uh, whew, it was fun. It was, it was a sprint. Um, really, it's, it's incredible. I think throughout the Old Testament, there's this perception that God is really mean. He's just so brutal and mean and vicious and all of these things. And what's really interesting is when you look throughout the Old Testament, to me, it's like, I can't understand why God left them alive for so long. Because they were just so wicked. The things that so many of these people did, it was so wicked. But here's the crazy thing. When God would show grace to these people, every single time, I'm not even exaggerating this, okay? Every single time, they would always be like, yeah, no thanks. You know, for a time, it's good. We're great. This is awesome. Everything's awesome, right? The Lego song, everything is awesome. Yeah. It's those of you who, you got to watch kid movies. They're, they're great. Um, 
Everything was awesome. Then something happened. Something happened. They all turned away from God. And this happens time and time and time and time and time again. I literally couldn't even keep track of how many times it happened. And it's like, God, like you've shown yourself to these people in such incredible ways. Like, how in the world would they ever do it? Here's the deal. We do the same thing. Every single one of us does the same thing. There's so many ways in which God has shown up in every single one of our lives, and we just kind of dismiss it like, oh, that was my own doing. Like, I didn't really, that wasn't God, you know. But then when everything is going terribly, it's like, God, why did you do that? Like, it's God's fault when bad things happen, but when good things happen, it's our, it's our, it's our doing. We did it, right? Like, what is that? We're just, I think what happens is we become really two-faced in the, in the point in that matter. So that's our tendency. How about this? Here's a, a couple of, uh, of things that, that happen. Our view, ultimately, instead of relying on the grace that God gives us, our view ultimately becomes a legalistic view. So by legalism, I mean I have to perform for God to love me, right? Um, how about this? I'll only receive his grace when I do something in return. Or anyone ever try to live a life of perfectionism? Right? It's after about 10 minutes, I fail. I can't do it. It's impossible. Live a life of perfectionism. How about this? I know a lot about God, so therefore I know God. That was me, in case you're wondering. For 27 years, 26 years, that was the case in my life. For me, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, went to a Christian school, went to a Christian college, was involved in the church numerous times, in multiple locations. I heard the truth of God every single week. Here's the deal. I knew it, but I didn't know him. I knew it, I didn't know him. That's the, there's a distinction, okay? There's a difference between knowing a lot about Bill Snyder and knowing Bill Snyder, right? If you ever meet Bill Snyder and you're one of those dudes who just knows everything about his life, I'm sure he'd be creeped out. Like, that's weird. Like, I don't even know who you are. Like, why do you know all this stuff about me? You know? God wants to meet us and to know us. God wants us to know him. That is so important for us. That we can't, that's the cool thing, we can know God. We can know him. In reality, those, that mentality of whether it's perfectionism or working hard or all these things, it elevates us to a position of God. It says that I am responsible for my own salvation. God, you are not. That's the truth. That is something that each and every one of us needs to deal with. On campus, um, I've had numerous discussions with students who really believe their salvation just rests in being a good or nice person. Just be nice to people. Yeah, just, you know, I don't really, I don't hurt anyone. I haven't killed anyone, you know. It's, I don't steal stuff. Just, it's like, what? Okay. Uh, here's a question. Do you have, you know those uh, clickers that they use like at the fair, like to count things? Do you have a clicker on you that's measuring every good thing that you do, ever? Do you have a clicker on you that measures every bad thing you do, ever? How, how do you know that your good is outweighing your bad? How do you know? It's impossible to know. Because I feel like, right? We, we do, this is self-deception here, Okay. I'm just going through like the way I think. 
I feel like I'm a really good person, so therefore I am a good person. You ever try that with a doctor? You ever go to a doctor who, you know, say they specialize in brain surgery or, you know, something like that? Hey, doc, so what are your qualifications? I, I just feel like I'm a good doctor. I just I feel like I'm really good. Like, okay, well, where'd you study? Uh, I didn't really study. I just kind of feel good about it. That, that's like the worst doctor ever, right? There's no chance that any of you would ever want to get surgery from that guy. Like, there's no way. But we do that to ourselves all the time. The cool thing is, God is overqualified, and he's freely giving himself to us. That is the cool thing about it. He's overqualified. Take a look at this. In Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, for somebody who's good, right? Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were full of muck and garbage and filthy rags, God said, I am still going to die for you. Right? I would think that um, I would like to die for a good person so that that way it's like, oh, okay, this is good. But Jesus did the complete opposite. A lot of times Jesus did things that were really contrary to what popular opinion was. And that's... That's another example of exactly what uh, this is, happened here. Christ died while we were still sinners. We had absolutely nothing to qualify us that would warrant God's grace. Absolutely nothing. And lastly, let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. You can't do it yourself. It's the gift. Again, there's that idea of the gift. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. God wants to do something powerful that's not a result of us working or doing or thinking a certain way, but ultimately it's just us coming and surrendering ourselves and say, God, use me how you want to. That's it. It's that simple. It's so simple. Let's not become so complicated. Let's not make it complicated. So here are some questions and next steps. First off, if you're not following Christ, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Revelation 3.20 says this. It's not on here. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with them and they with me. The whole idea of that verse is just, hey, if you just say, I want to hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. He'll say, okay, I'll just come right in. That's it. He'll come right in. When we... We're in muck and garbage. God says, I still want to come in and meet you right where you're at. And you can do that today. You can do that this morning. I want to read uh, this verse here. Philippians, it's 3, 4 through 10. This is what it says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, this is Paul speaking, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
So what he's doing is he's listing all of his qualifications for every reason he had to believe that he was righteous or that he was good, that he was a recipient of God's grace. But check out what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from what comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That verse right there, Paul is essentially laying out all of his qualifications and he's saying, hey, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that I know Christ. I know the power of his resurrection. I want to be a part of his suffering. I I know who he is. I have faith in him. I have faith in his righteousness for me. Those are the, the powerful things that so many of us lose. So here's another question. If you're in here and you're following Christ, what do you tend to rely on more than the grace of God? So here's a few examples to uh, get you thinking. I work hard. I'm a good parent. I know a lot. I care about people. I obey God's commands. And I manage money wisely. These are just a few. There's, there's more. There's plenty more. You could keep going. Fill in the blank, Right? My point is, if you look, those aren't bad things. Those are all really good things to have. But the point I'm making is that when we elevate that in a position where we shouldn't, and that becomes the thing, then that's the problem, right? So here's, here's what we need to do. The last thing is just if you're in one of those boats and you're relying on yourself and you're not looking to God, who gave us a fullness of himself, by the way, follow Paul's model. Identify the reasons for confidence in the flesh and write them out by listing all your qualifications. So write everything out. Yeah. This will be a fun exercise, right? What are all your qualifications? I'm a college graduate. I went to graduate school. I have a master's degree. Uh, I worked for a few years. I have a lot of knowledge built up. I mean, this is just me. I, you could go on, you know, put yourself in my shoes and do the same thing. List all of your qualifications. Every reason why you should have confidence in yourself and your abilities. Second thing is turn from these areas of confidence. Just turn from them. Third, rest in the grace of God. And then lastly, practice ongoing repentance in this area. This is tough stuff. It really is. Um, I really believe that God wants to do something powerful this week through every single one of you as you start to investigate and look at uh, the reasons why you have maybe confidence in the flesh. Uh, What I want to do, I want to pray right now, just close our time up. God, thank you so much just for who you are. God, that you're a God of grace. That you've met us here in our weakness, in our junk, with our baggage. 
God, and you say, just come freely to 